Once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was a water drop named Higgins. Higgins was no ordinary water drop, though. Higgins was a drop with a dream. You see, Higgins lived in a valley which had once been beautiful and green with green grass and trees and flowers, but it hadn't rained in the valley for a very, very long time. And so the grass had grown brown and dry, the flowers withered, the trees were suffering. And Higgins had a dream that it could be beautiful again. But what could Higgins do? They were just one drop of water. Well, what they started to do was to travel around and tell others about their dream. If we all worked together, perhaps the valley could be beautiful again. The other drops, though, said, Higgins, get your head out of the clouds. You're just a dreamer. And still, Higgins traveled around telling others about this dream, this dream that the valley could be green again. Why, if it was just watered. And then, one day, as Higgins was traveling, they came across an old bucket. And they had an idea. If enough of us would hop in this bucket, Higgins said, why, there would be enough water that it could be poured on at least a few flowers, and at least some of the valley could be beautiful again. Who will get in the bucket with me? But again, everyone thought that Higgins was just a dreamer. That'll never work, some of the other drops said. But Higgins thought something must be done to show them. They weren't listening to just their words. And so Higgins ran and with a big flying leap, jumped up and landed in the bucket, kerplunk. And there they were, just a drop in the bucket. <laughs> but the other drops had also begun to notice that the valley needed watering and that something needed to be done. And so another drop shouted out, I'm going to get in the bucket with Higgins. And that drop ran and leapt up in the air and into the bucket. And then another drop and another and four and five and six. And then that bucket was full of water. And they had to get another bucket. And then that bucket was full of water drops and water. And then there was another bucket and another until soon there were many, many buckets full of water ready to make a difference. And the wind picked them up and poured them out into a mighty stream which watered that valley and made it green again. For truly, when we have enough drops in the bucket and a strong wind at our backs, justice will flow like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Our reading this morning is Tikkun Olam, Repair of the World, a Kabbalistic creation story. Rabbi Isaac Luria lived in the 16th century. This text is based on his theory of creation. This version of the story is by Naomi Newman. In the beginning, before there were any beginnings or endings, there was no place that was not already God. We call this unimaginable openness 
Ein Sof. Being without end, world without end, Ein Sof. Then came the urge to give life to our world and us. But there was no place that was not already God. So Ein Sof breathed in to make room, like a father steps back so his child will walk to him. We call this withdrawing Zim Zoom. Into the emptiness, Ein Sof set vessels and began to fill them with divine light, like a mother places bowls in which to pour her delicious soup. We call these bowls Kalim. As the light poured forth, a perfect world was being created. Think of it, a world without greed, cruelty, or violence. But then something happened. The Kalim shattered. No one knows why. Perhaps the bowls were too frail. Perhaps the light too intense. Perhaps Ein Sof was learning. After all, no one makes perfect the first time. With the shattering of the bowls, the divine sparks flew everywhere, some rushing back to Ein Sof, some falling, falling, trapped in their broken shards to become our world and us. Though this is hard to believe, the perfect world is all around us, but broken into jagged pieces, like a puzzle thrown to the floor, the picture lost, each piece without meaning, until someone puts them back together again. We are that someone. There is no one else. We are the ones who can find the broken pieces, remember how they fit together, and rejoin them. And we call this repair of the world tikkun olam. In every moment, with every act, we can heal our world and us. We are all holy sparks, dulled by separation. But when we meet and talk and eat and make love, when we work and play and disagree with holiness in our eyes, seeing Ein Sof everywhere, our brokenness will end. Then our bowls will be strong enough to hold the light, and our light gentle enough to fill the bowls. As we repair the world together, we will learn that there is no place that is not already God. So ends our reading. I'm delighted to join you here at the Olympia UU Congregation. You have a beautiful space here, and I'm delighted to be here. I've been here several times before, but not up here. So this is a treat for me. Thank you for inviting me. Feels like fall is coming on a little early this year. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, tonight is the autumn equinox, so I guess it's all right. But I hope you had a great summer. 
Maybe you managed to get some time off for a little rest and relaxation. Some of you may have spent time at the beach or in your garden. And maybe you went backpacking or car camping. Or maybe like me, you just mostly hung out on the porch at home with your local friends. No matter what you did, the change of pace in summer is healthy. It helps shift gears, taking it easy and resting up for whatever is next. It's important to replenish our resilience, which I'm guessing might be sorely tested in the coming year as the politics in our country ramps up for the election season. In many ways, it appears our country and our world are facing hard times ahead. So we'll need all the strength and resilience we can muster. ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, forgot to take the summer off, and immigrants are definitely in the crosshairs. The president's rhetoric has ramped up as if getting worse than he had been was even possible. So his fans have taken the cue for spewing more hatred and violence than ever. Mass shootings in public places, credible threats of possible war again in the Middle East, and growing poverty everywhere is made worse by an unnecessary trade war. You all know the litany. And all that is before we get to the state of the planet. This administration has tossed out protections for wilderness areas, endangered species, and indigenous ceded lands, all to allow yet more oil and gas exploration. Just a couple of weeks ago, a new executive order rolled back regulations for clean water and air quality, and of course, the climate. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change produced a report last spring that's downright frightening. I don't recommend it for bedtime reading. As if to prove the validity of that report, a massive heat wave rolled across Africa through Europe and over the Arctic. Fortunately for us, it managed to miss the Northwest this time, but we'd better be paying attention. I saw in a recent article that some scientists say this year's massive heat waves and forest fires and accelerated melting of the ice sheets at the top and the bottom of the planet, these changes are rapidly bringing us to the point of no return. Some suggest that instead of the 10 or 20 years mentioned in the IPCC report, we're looking at maybe 18 more months before the dangerous tipping points are reached and there's no turning back to life as we know it. The unrest in response to right-wing regimes from Hong Kong to Brazil to Venezuela to Middle East and Africa and Asia, and right here at home in America, it's all very worrisome. The global situation raises our anxiety level to a fever pitch as societies all over try to cope with the urgency of this time on planet Earth. Now, I'm not trying to get you to sink into depression. My first draft of this sermon did have several more depressing pages <laughs> of everything gone wrong in the world. I guess I needed to wade through that swamp before I could look ahead, but I promise that's enough for today. So let me tell you, at the same time all these disasters are happening, I'm also noticing 
growing resistance among ordinary people in many parts of the world, Hong Kong, Venezuela, Brazil, some of those same places experiencing disasters, and on smaller scales in cities throughout Europe and the US and even Russia. These uprisings fight against government repression and violence, human rights abuses, environmental damage, and theft of land by corporate interests. Indigenous people around the world are making common cause with the social justice and climate activists to protect the land and fight climate change. Poor and middle-class people are bonding together to strengthen their capacity to resist. I find all of this very reassuring. Young people are tired of waiting for those in power to act to protect their future. They are telling truth to power, showing up on the front lines, in the courtrooms, and in the halls of government. Go Greta, go Juliana, and all the other young climate activists. I'm thinking the elders, my generation, some of your generation, we need to get the heck out of the way and support the next generation's actions because we clearly don't have the solutions and we elders are mostly not going to pay the consequences. And I heard that some of you joined the climate strike on Friday. We did that in Portland and apparently they did that all over the world. Have you seen some of the pictures? It's amazing. So my intention this morning is actually the opposite of doom and gloom. Instead, I want to encourage us to imagine a different future. A different future than our history suggests is likely to unfold. My summer reading this year has given me some new perspectives on science and history, as well as philosophy and theology. I'll lift up just a couple of areas of study in particular that suggest a more holistic understanding of the times we're in and what might be an appropriate response. First is the science that reveals a more complete picture of the hundreds of millions of years of geological transformation and human evolution over the last 300 million years and cultural evolution in the last 10,000 years. This is really big picture stuff. And the story it tells collectively is one of change, massive change over huge timescales of rising and collapsing and rising again. What we see today, what we know in our lives is only temporary and each of us is only a bit player. This richer understanding of deep time makes me think we're at another one of those turning points in global evolution. Processes of change, it turns out, are episodic, not gradual and even. And they're almost never predictable with any precision. We already know that. But the speed and magnitude of change we're witnessing today indicate that it's virtually impossible to put on the brakes. I believe we are in the process of collapse, and in some ways that's probably a good thing. We might find ways to slow it down on the margins, but it will not be stopped. The world will be different in the coming decades and into the next century in ways we cannot imagine even in our wildest dreams. 
With change, though, comes opportunity. Remember, collapse is not the end of the story. It's only one phase in the unfolding process of the evolution of the universe. I can't see the future any better than you, but when I imagine it, I don't believe we humans will necessarily become extinct. I imagine that, like the dinosaurs, we'll be forced to evolve into something different. Scientists tell us they became the birds. Like the proto-mammals, those tiny creatures that lived in the shadows under the feet of those giant dinosaurs, we'll find new opportunities in this future world. Maybe some other creature we aren't yet paying attention to will rise from a reinvented ecosystem and take their place alongside us, or maybe instead of us, as the more intelligent creature. But whatever happens, we humans will survive, or not, based on how we respond to the changes in the ecosystems and how we evolve our relationships with each other and the rest of life on this planet. What we imagine that will look like, of course, will be different for each of us, but the wisdom I've been reading contains just a few themes that sort of sum them up. Here's what I mean. This is all about how we humans must live on this fragile planet today. There are three factors that seem pretty critical. We need a new dream. We have to strengthen our resilience. And we must strengthen our connections within our communities and other communities. The story of Tikkun Olam makes it clear that we have a responsibility to reconnect the pieces of our world our physical world and our relationships with that world and with each other and with our communities. Sure, the politics and economics will be addressed. They must be addressed. But the simplest idea is laid out in that charming story of Higgins, The Drop with the Dream. Rather than the technical inventions, relationships are the part of evolution we need to emphasize. The starting point is the dream. Like Higgins, we need to believe another way is possible. What is our image, our dream? Who else is part of this dream? What values are most important? And what contribution will I make? The story we know, the one we're used to, we can tweak it around the edges. We can change our transportation practices and change our diets and put up the solar panels. These are all things we must do. But all those practices put together might make a few percentage points of difference in our nation's carbon levels. That simply is not enough. As I said earlier, if we're beginning to collapse, those things won't slow down the process we must go to the next step of living as if the future we dream of is already a reality. And I'm starting to realize that I'm not even close to living my own dream. I'm still living in the reality I see all around me, just with a smaller footprint. What is the most important thing we must do to have a better chance of coming through like those proto-mammals under the feet of the dinosaurs? 
Now, if you thought I would come here this morning to tell you the answer to that question, you'll be disappointed. There isn't just one dream, of course, mine or yours. It's a collective dream, and it has to emerge from an iterative process. So let's start creating it together. If the starting point is the dream, the second element of survival is resilience. The way we live now is very unhealthy, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically, resulting in so much pain for so many members of our communities. Addictions, depression, violence, suicide, and other trauma responses are rampant. It fills me with grief. Resilience is the ability to roll with the punches and not fall into despair. It's a process that goes on even while these disasters are happening. When stress, adversity, and trauma strikes, you still experience the anger, grief, and pain, but you're able to keep functioning, both physically and psychologically. However, resilience is not about toughing it out, being stoic, or going it alone. In fact, being able to reach out to others for support is a key component of resilience. When you're resilient, you're better at harnessing your inner strength, and this helps you rebound from a setback or a challenge, such as job loss, illness, disaster, or the death of a loved one. If you lack resilience, you might dwell on the problems and feel victimized, become overwhelmed, or turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms, like substance abuse, for example. Resilience won't make these problems go away, but it gives you the ability to see past them, to find your footing, to find enjoyment in life, and to better handle the stress. I happen to think that what's most important for survival will also help us to thrive. This is not a solo adventure. It's important for each person to individually develop the capacity for resilience, but I think resilience is also a characteristic of community. So the third element of survival is all about community. Instead of just surviving, this is the element that will allow us to thrive. Now what would a healthy and resilient community look like? The great philosophers and teachers and the prophets show us this dream. From the prophets to science fiction writers to Martin Luther King Jr., the storytellers of beloved community are all around us. It is up to us to dream what that means for us in this place, in this time. Working to restore the environment, to put land, air, water, and resources back into the hands of the public trust those are essential. But the efforts will only be complete when there is a shift in our way of seeing the world and being together in it. It is our humanness that also needs restoration. And there is no way to reason our way there intellectually. We just have to start living it. More often than not, over the last several months, I've come away from conversations about the world we're living in, both the hard times and the future we dream of, with more energy, more courage for the journey. 
The dreams that emerge from within our communities give us new understandings and new ways of seeing the world and our place within it. They help us make sense of and respond to what's happening around us. The world as we know it is going away. Probably not right away, but certainly not too far in the distant future either. Many of us here today will not be a part of creating that new world. We'll be gone by then. But we must support the young people in their work to create it. We must work to make it possible. And the rest of you who will still be here will carry humanity into that future. You must take the opportunity now to influence how humanity will live in that new, as yet unknown world. Do we continue the lifestyle we are living now until it collapses completely? Or do we begin now to imagine the future we want and work to bring that dream into reality? Personally, I would choose to create what is already started as our dream, a beloved community that welcomes us all to share a future filled with hope and love, a dream building resilience, strengthening beloved community. May it be so, and may we make it so. Will you join me in prayer? Spirit of life, source of our dreaming, bless us with courage and imagination as we work together to nurture our beloved community and find creative ways, creative and inspiring ways to build a new world of peace and beauty and love. Help us find the strength we need to face this dark time with courage and compassion. Reinforce the connections among us in this community so that we can discover again and yet again that we are not alone. With gratitude for all the blessings of our lives, let us seek to use our gifts to bless the world. May it be so, amen, and blessed be.